Hello, everyone, and welcome again to Wednesday Night Live for the first Wednesday in March. Amazingly, we are now in this glorious month, which is always an exciting time here at the Father's Church in Dallas. It is the time where we have traditionally welcomed our Saints Network family from around the world to our spring Saints Network seminar. This year will be a seminar entitled The Prophet, and it will be held between March 17th and 20th. It will be a virtual seminar. Even though uh, yesterday the governor of the great state of Texas, Governor Abbott, said that a week from now, a week from today, the mandate for mask wearing is abolished and businesses are all able to be operating at 100%. Um, the challenge is <clears throat> that while we rejoice in the signs of life and vitality that are obvious throughout our nation, we have already set in motion this virtual gathering, and we believe that the Lord has established things that he is, he is going to accomplish through us being faithful in our individually appointed sites of service, and we are really not going to change what we have been uh, advertising. Now, there will be members of our congregation and some other folks who uh, will be attending here live, but I know that uh, attending here actually in uh, in the building, <clears throat> and I know that perhaps some of you have questions now that Governor Abbott has made this remark, I can tell you that it's not as easy as that. There are already rumblings here in our city. For instance, the, uh, the, the Dallas Stars of the NHL and the Dallas Mavericks of the NBA are still going to require masks and they're still going to restrict attendees. We've yet to hear what political uh, changes will be happening uh, d decided by Governor uh, by uh, County Judge uh, Jenkins. So uh, while we rejoice, we rejoice at how God is turning this virus uh, into a non-factor. Um, we're two weeks out from our seminar. We're we're going to keep pressing forward with what we prepared for. And I just wanted to to clarify that because I know many of you are going to have questions concerning it. Today, we want to continue with what was being discussed this past Sunday when the Lord directed us to a consideration of the man named Boaz in the book of Ruth. And we looked at how he truly represents God's faithfulness and God's provision and a breakthrough promise, uh, a breakthrough of the fulfillment of promise. How about that? And we also spoke about how 
this man became a storied individual, even though Ruth is the one that is focused on most, and rightfully so. But there would be no book of Ruth, there would be no lesson found there, if there was not the man named Boaz. And it seems that David and Solomon recognized this. You're talking about a great-great-grandfather and a great-grandfather here of these men. And when the temple of Solomon was constructed, there were two massive bronze pillars that greeted anyone who would be coming into that edifice of, of worship and meeting with God. And the, the pillar on the left was named Boaz. And the pillar on the right named Jachin. And we, we recognize as well that in so many places throughout the word, word of God, the right or the direction of the right represents prophetic promise and the prophetic declaration in general, while the left represents fulfillment and the completion of the process. We recognize that you have to have both to really make an entry into, you have to embrace both to make an entry into a partnership with God. And even though this is not our study for today, this is just a reminder and a, re- a, a recap. So many times in Scripture, the right indicates coming into a partnership and an agreement with God, and the left speaks of fulfillment. For instance, where is Jesus positioned now? At the right hand of the throne of God. He, he meets with those who are called to be sons there to intercede and to uh, speak about what God's will is and how it needs to be followed. And this extends from the Old Testament where the signature word describing belief or faith is the Hebrew word aman, which means from the right or on the right hand. And people like Moses were judged by God because they did not do what God had agreed upon with them according to his will at the right hand. One of the most signature passage of that was when God said, because you believed me not to Moses, because you believe me not to sanctify me in the presence of this people, you're not going into the promised land. And believe there is a man or right hand. Now, again, this is an extended study, but anybody in the Old Testament um, days recognized that right, the right meant to come into an agreement and to with God and to then trust him to fulfill that partnership and that agreement toward the completion. One of the most well-known passages in the New Testament involved the sons of Sceva, 
who decided they were going to establish their deliverance ministry, and they were going to toss out the name of Jesus, and they were going to do some damage to the demonic realm. It was more from a uh, from a uh, I would say being young boys, young men to to see some exciting things. And skiva means left or left hand. And when they came when these boys came to the demonic, they were beaten and sent away in uh, their clothing and disrepair and the devil said Jesus I know Paul I know who are you um, the church is regularly left-handed uh, it is um, it wants action and it wants it now it wants everything in a threefold way throughout my life I've seen so many successful teaching schemes that says you know what You've, um, you've not really been able to get what you want from God. Well, here's why. And if you do this, you'll get it. I, I've seen those come and go, come and go, come and go. And people are so eager for a quick fix to have the solution. To it. It's almost like Pentecostal witchcraft. If I say this thing or do this thing, uh, you know, God will have to answer me. And uh, it's been because I've not really understood and I've not put these pieces together. It's as old as the hills. Everybody wants God to do what they want him to do. And at the heart of all this is that God is some fickle father up in heaven that you're not, you know, you're not doing it just right with the pretty please, and so I'm not answering you. And if we take it, oh no, I'm not, I don't, I'm not thinking that of God. I'm just thinking we're not using the word right. Well, that becomes somewhat of Pentecostal witchcraft. If you're not saying the oath, or if you're not saying the 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 spell just right, well, then you're. It's not going to unlock, and it's not going to move. Listen, everything in the spirit realm has to do with relationship with God and your position, your timely position and authority. You're not going to be able to bend God's arm. You're not going to be able to take discretionary authority and just go around doing whatever you think is right. Because here's a newsflash. You don't always think what's properly, uh, what's proper. And I've said this before. I can remember many times during my life where I sincerely asked God for things and I used the scripture and I agreed and I bound, I rebuked, I declared, I decreed and those things didn't happen and later on I look back reflectively and say thank you Lord that you didn't give me all that nonsense that at the time I thought I had to have. So the principle of right and left is at the heart of agreement and partnering with God. David and Solomon knew that, and it was based upon what God had inspired them to do in the construction of this temple. And it, it really does speak of what we should be prophetically today.
Now, we talked about how Boaz represented breakthrough. And Boaz represented the fulfillment of somebody who had been partnering with God, as the book of Ruth says, she was under the shadow of the wings of Yahweh, uh, under the shadow of the wings of God. She was devoted to uh, him and devoted to being a person of integrity and devoted to being someone who um, was not going to try to cut corners or take matters into their own hands. If there was ever a, a demonstration of patient commitment to something that an individual has, com, uh, has partnered with, it was Ruth. And Boaz became that timely fulfillment. And subsequently, when David devised and envisioned and Solomon then constructed the temple, the left-hand pillar was named after Boaz, meaning that timely breakthrough and the faithfulness of God's promise. These names weren't just plucked out of the hat or out of the air. And we have no, we don't really have any indication that God said, Thus saith me, thou shalt name the left pillar Boaz. Bill Cosby I guess he's been canceled now. But Bill Cosby could have done a routine about that. Um, the Noah thing is still a funny, funny comedic presentation. I just enjoyed that. But these guys said, we have right and left. We understand this is the principle of God. And um, what better to describe the left than who Boaz was. Now, why this wasn't, why these two pillars weren't, weren't called after names of God, I don't know. To me, nobody asked me, that would have been a much better thing, you know, Elohim Yahweh. But then if you did that, that would almost be like a, a graven image which God said, I don't want. And so they named these. This was God's temple, but it was also the temple of the people, the temple of the partners. And as these ones enter in, they had to be reminded that in, in every other thing, regarding the sacrifices and the incense and the Holy of Holies and all of the Levitical regulations and what they symbolize, none of them are really going to bring about an efficacious partnership with God if the people coming up these steps don't recognize this is what is necessary. You're not coming here for a quick fix. You are coming here to to enter into a partnership with God. It's not just legalism. It's partnership. And so, when they named it Boaz, why didn't they name it Ruth? <laughs> Misogyny. Oh, we lament it. 
No, that wasn't it. If you're talking right and left, Ruth really dealt more with the right. Boaz with the left. So why wasn't the right pillar named Ruth? That's what we want to talk about today. Not necessarily why it wasn't named Ruth. But what does Yaquim really mean? Well, if you've looked at this, if you've researched, you know, we have said, and this is true, we're not departing from anything here, that it means to establish and to take a, make a firm decision and to enter into an agreement and a partnership. That's true. But when you look at where this, this man named Jaquin, uh, you look at his history and the Diakinites, the, the they really weren't champions. I'm sure they were good people. They were sons of Simeon. He was a son of, son of Simeon, an SOS. Um, but, you know, they weren't the lineage of kings. They weren't, you know, we're, we're going to go and do an exploit as mighty men. So what, what is the significance? I mean, if you're going to say Boaz as the left pillar, there were a lot of other people that could have been put in the right there. They, you know, they didn't want to name it after Moses because people would have worshipped that. Or well, what about Abraham, the friend of God, the one upon whom righteousness was established? And there's the right hand. I mean, they could have called it Abraham. They had all gone along with that. So what was in the, the cranium of Solomon and David to say, that right pillar, Jaquin. On the surface, it doesn't make any sense. But I'm telling you <clears throat> that God always makes sense. Even though we don't understand sometimes, the, the Lord God Almighty doesn't make any mistakes. And so I wasn't really looking for an explanation here. I knew that the Lord led us to the study of, of Boaz on Sunday, this past Sunday. And I knew that God was saying, <clears throat> there is breakthrough coming. But uh, in this year of the prophetic, but on yesterday, I started to feel the urge of the Spirit to go back and to re try to research Jackin a little bit. And I wasn't coming up with anything. Again, we've done this on so many occasions. Boaz is an easy mark. Right and left, that's easy. I mean, it's still not in the nomenclature of much of the general church, but it's, it's, it's simple for us as pneumaticos people. And then... I decided, by the directive of the Spirit, I know, to look at both Genesis 46 and 1 Chronicles 4, where the lineage, the initial lineage of the children of Simeon were, was detailed. And in Genesis, you find 
our buddy Jachin. But in First Chronicles, that wonderful passage in First Chronicles chapter four, verse twenty-four, you have Simeon's sons, but there, and in the opinion of most, well, anyone who chose to to speak about it, and there were a number of um, of scholars of the the Jewish genealogies, they unequivocally say that Jachin in the book of Genesis is the same as this guy Jerib in First Chronicles. And they explain it linguistically, they go through it, and I never found anybody, and believe me, I looked, who disputed this. And so, and most people don't write about it because they, who, who's, who's going to really make issue about genealogies? I mean, there's no money in that. I mean, nobody would be looking for why this is important, and none of them were. I mean, can you imagine how boring some of these books that I consulted were where you're talking about genealogy? Forgive me for you genealogists. Um, I, I, I hope you gain great delight in this. But just from the standpoint of this issue that I'm talking about right now, which is really considered a non-issue, they just mentioned this was the same guy. And they said it, many of them, the, the, the most respected scholars. Nobody said why it was important. Nobody even, nobody even pontificated as to the fact that it just might have some significance. Nothing like that. So I knew that the Lord was showing me something and subsequently us for this time frame. And I also recognized that at the heart of this was the true meaning of why that right-hand pillar was named the way it was named. Now, Jachin was what this man's lineage embraced, the Jachinites. We don't find any Jabberites or Jabberwockies. We don't find any of them. But the Jachinites are there. And so whatever Jarib um, labored to become, then that was his lineage. And that's what that right pillar was named after. But what else was he known by? Jerib, and how how did that right hand pillar, that establishment, that point of foundational partnership, what ingredients in that man's life um, brought about this this absolute rock that represents what the prophetic has to be. Well, it's very simple to see when you look at what Jerib means, 
And you see that it is um, from a root word, Arib, and it, it means basically an adversary. It means to strive or to quarrel, to contend for something. It means to uh, engage in contestation. Um, in um, the, the languages of um, the, um, the promised land that Israel entered into, this word was used to speak about a reimbursement or a restoration of things. I think that's very interesting, all you saints. Um, this word is, this root word of jerib is, speaks about quarreling and uh, how to come to a point of resolution within yourself, within yourself, as to how things are going to be. One of the unique places that this is used is in Genesis 13 when Lot gets jealous of his uncle and Lot's wife is stirring him to strike out on his own and really know the, the beauty of who God made you to be. And uh, there was strife amongst the herdsmen. That's this word. And subsequently, Lot is sent out uh, after his own devices, and Yahweh grants his blessing to Abram. But that strife and that argument over identity and what, who will really be in control is, is there. In Proverbs, this word is used to describe human conflicts and problems that it creates. Uh, we're told to avoid strife between people, same word. Um, in, um, <clears throat> it, it's used throughout the scripture. Um, one of the ones that I, I really gained a great measure of um, help from was um, when Job was talking about this word. And he said that it was futile for him. You know, he, he demanded that he know God's case. He used this word against him. And he said ultimately that it was futile to contend or have this kind of strife with God. And it said, Who, whoever contends with the Almighty is going to lose. And so this is, is the essence of what um, this word rib or riba means. And let's talk about this from a practical, personal standpoint, and then let's talk about it from what we may be seeing in our in our world today as the um, the measure of false prophecy is trying to take its roots not only in the church but in society we do know from what we've read in scripture that there's there is a an essence of antichrist and false prophet which are going to come together in conjunction with the beast or the world system 
to gain control across the world in the time of the end. And the saints and the prophets, the true prophets, will be battling on behalf of the will of God. So it is essential for us to grasp when you're talking about the temple and what it represents for us, what has to be in regard to right and left. And again, once we've, we've, we've had an understanding of these two factors of faith and fulfillment and how that also uh, fits into Psalms and Habakkuk, with the sila that's in the middle, promise, sila, fulfillment. But the promise we've seen illustrations of, but we've not really been directed by God to see this, or the name, uh, what is the true meaning of this right pillar? For any of us who are going to walk in faith, or who are going to gain a prophetic direction from God. You don't just accept this as a human being. You, When God says something, of course you're going to obey. But it's not just obedience. Obedience is vital, hear me. But it's dealing with the issues in your life that might come against your point of agreement with God. <clears throat> One of the things we've learned over the years is that you can be a person of faith and you can be someone who is going to partner with God, but the way the enemy is going to attack you, and he will, if you don't think that's the case, you haven't really been partnering with God. The thing he's going to target, the thing our adversary is going to target are those unresolved areas in your life. Those areas that you kind of maybe don't pay attention to um, until they flare up, but they're there. We all have them. You can say you don't, but if you say that, you're really lying, and that may be another one of these issues you have. You know, Jesus talked about, you know, if you have faith, the size of this mustard seed, and don't doubt in your heart. Don't give place. In that, in that area where you've come into agreement with God in your heart, this is the direction I'm going. If you, if you, if you don't <clears throat> give place to the doubt that's there, you'll be able to say, be removed, be cast into the sea. It's very interesting. Why didn't Jesus say, if you say to this mountain, be thou removed, and you use all the scripture, and you go before the courts of heaven, and you make this, and he didn't say that. He throws in that doubt in the heart business, which is essential for the prophetic. <laughs> you, you have to come into an agreement that is... Um, is based upon your willingness to serve God and hear from Him, but you've, you've got to process what's going to go on. 
<coughs> and come into agreement with it and say, you know, I have a predilection to this, but you're you're going to have to be quiet. In fact, that's why the martyria, the testimony of Jesus, is the is the spirit of prophecy. You've got to die to those things that would contest. Apostle Paul said, I die daily. You've got to keep on presenting yourself as a living sacrifice. It's not a one and done. And so the essence of prophecy, the essence of the spirit of prophecy is martyria, which means that you've got to continue to insist that those areas of your life or the world or people's opinions or whatever may try to blow you off course in your prophetic agreement and partnership with God, you've got to insist that you're going to side with God and you're not going to cave to the strife or the contention of either yourself or your respected family members who don't want you doing this or society or the enemy or lust or whatever whatever foible you have in yourself. The, the right hand of the prophetic, which is the essence of prophecy, which is the testimony of Jesus, is always going to be about dying to self so that the testimony that you receive at that right hand can go forward. And, you know, I, I happen to believe that, you know, you see Moses... We reference this because you did not believe, you did not do what the right hand said. What didn't he do? Well, for one thing, he didn't speak to the rock, but that part of himself that was really irritated, and I don't blame him with those people that he had to, that he had to lead. He'd had just about enough of them. Well, he had done a pretty good job of dying to that for years. But then it rose up. He didn't die. The right hand collapsed, and he was not able to go into the land. What about Elijah? Oh, God, I'm all alone. I, 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 me, me, me. Oh, woe is me. Oh, woe is me. What are you doing here, Elijah? Oh, God, I am all alone. I have not accomplished anything. Look at this. It's just bad. Wrap your mantle around your head. Shut out all that stuff. Remember what I said to you. Remember what I commissioned you to be. Still didn't work. And subsequently, Elisha had, had to go it alone. The essence of prophecy is always going to be on two fronts. Number one, are you going to contend with the, the obstacles that would rise up in your life and you're going to keep dying to them? Are you going to um, shut out the oppositions that come from many other places? Um, are you going to are you going to contend and state I'm not going to let anything keep me from hearing from God and then subsequently 
be established in that? Because if you don't, you're not going to be moving in the power of that temple, and you're not going to be an agent of true prophetic worth. On the other hand, on the left, are you going to wait on the timing of God, or are you going to cut corners? Are you going to be like the foolish virgins? You know, the Lord delays his coming. Where is he? I don't understand. Maybe I'm not doing something right. Maybe I need to try some other quick fix thing. You know, I'm not getting the the uh, the accolades and the promotion that I think in my five-year plan that I should have. So, you know, I'm going to launch out on my own. I'm going to be like Lot. You see... Both sides have pitfalls, but the right, if you're going to begin and you're going to establish, a lot of the issues you face on the left will already have been being dealt with if you go through the process of what God requires on the right, prophetically. And I think, I just saying this, you look at the New Testament And I think one of the reasons that the Bible says from Isaiah and then reiterates in in the the Gospels account that Jesus before his shearers was as a sheep and was dumb, would not speak, was because he had, he learned this lesson and he was typifying it, the the martyria, the sacrifice of Jesus is the essence, the spirit of prophecy, he did not stand up for himself. He did not say anything. Well, yeah, he had, woman, behold your son, father into your hands, I commit my spirit, I thirst, you know, the seven last words on the cross, and what is truth to, um, to Pilate? Um, you know, but he didn't, he did not defend himself and the joy set before him, he kept his eye on the fulfillment. Why was John the Baptist declared by Jesus, so it has to be true, to have been the greatest prophet born of women? Why was that? Well, some would say, oh, it's because he had the privilege of being the the friend of the bridegroom and welcoming Jesus into the point of ministry. Well, that was an honor. That absolutely was an honor. But that, my friends, is not what made him the greatest prophet born to women. It's not. Because it wasn't about what you do, it's about what you are. And it's about what you in your integrity demonstrate. It's not about how you function. There were a lot of people who did tremendous exploits. They were, man, they had a, they had a, they hit for the cycle in their, in their walk. They were tremendously flawed people. And I'm not saying that John was um, guiltless, but in his role as the prophet, he was the greatest um, born to women. The thing you see about John is his message 
was about right and left. This is what God said. You ain't doing it. So turn. Not just have a change of mind, as some wonderful writers are saying now, but you change what you're doing and you get into alignment with what? The Word, the law, what God had said. Actually do it. And then the other thing was that you don't find John defending himself. The closest you come to it was when he sent his disciples to ask of Jesus, are you the one that's coming? Well, John knew that. I mean, you got to give him a break. He's there in, in the jail. I'm sure he was prophetic enough to know that his head was on the block. Maybe he didn't know how it was going to happen, but uh, his days were probably numbered. And But he didn't say, would you go and tell Jesus, my you know, my cousin, that he's kind of rough here. It'd be nice if you would set up a protest out front. Isn't that what we're supposed to do, protest? Isn't that what God would want us to do? You know, get a group of people. Speak about this injustice. You know, certainly John the Baptist has enough followers. We put enough signs and enough political pressure. We can cancel some people here. He didn't ask for that, and Jesus didn't offer it. He didn't say, Lord, you know, you have miracle power. If, uh, 2,000 years from now in the Old West, if they can bust people out of jail, you can bust me out of this hooskow. No, didn't say that either. He just wanted to know, are you truly the fulfillment of what I have believed for? He wasn't defending himself. Granted, I think he really knew. Obviously, he knew that. He saw the baptism. He heard God say, this is my beloved son. He knew that he was fulfilling righteousness by baptizing Jesus. He, he knew Jesus' miraculous birth. I mean, I mean that had to be a topic of, of continual conversation in the home of Zacharias and Elizabeth for as long as they lived. But he didn't defend himself. He stayed in that right-left thing, and uh, he that when the when it was really pressure time, he didn't. He wasn't like Elijah. He wasn't like Moses. He held true, and really, we as the friend of the bridegroom today, we uh, have to be those who demonstrate similar quality. We, we have to prepare the way of the plan of God and we have to be devoted to that task, no matter what it looks like, and we don't defend ourselves. As hard as that is sometimes. Jesus is a sheep, dumb before his shears. John the Baptist I, uh, I, with his uh, physical martyrdom in sight, this this is where we are. So you come back to this right pillar of the temple, and you see that somehow for Jaquin to be established as that galvanizing pillar on the right, 
It's not just that one day this man, Simeon's son, said, Oh, I believe I'll agree with this prophecy. Sounds good to me. Now, even in his household, why was he named by two things? Well, there's a lot of people like that in the Bible. Aren't there? Abram's name was changed to Abraham. Saul's name was changed to Paul. Peter, the rock, sons of thunder, John and James. I mean, it, it, there are a lot of instances like that. And they basically say, you've been faithful in this area and you have, you have withstood, you have proven yourself. These qualities that you have, they make the way for you to, you've been faithful in these things, now you're going to be ruler. And this is where we are. Sarah's name was changed as well, the laughing uh, matriarch of the Jewish faith. So, for you to be prophetically established, Jaquin, you have to recognize that the operative name by which, the, by which this man was functioning was that he, he processed things and he weighed in the balance am i going to swear to my own hurt and change not psalm 15 because that's what i'm going to have to do if i'm going to dwell in the tabernacle if i'm going to dwell here um and that that is the essence of jerib or rib or ribah and the, the, the motivation is to do a noble work. The motivation is to bring restoration. The, the, the motivation is to come into a partnership and alignment with what is right, what God wants. And when you choose this day whom you will serve, you forsake all others and follow then you come into that point of identity and hopefully that's what you're known by. You don't want to vacillate. You don't want to say, oh yeah, I'm with this. And then after a little bit, you know, I don't know, maybe I miss God. You know, they're not really recognizing me. I'm going to quit. I'm going to separate. I'm going to run away. That's what's happening that's an opposition that's coming against the true prophetic right now. Over this past year, and we've said this, haven't we? Where we have been isolated and sequestered and not able to go out and do the things that we normally want to do, so many times during prayer, God would bring about areas to our memory that we didn't even think were issues. And he'd say, you need to get this right. You need to deal with this. You need to come before me and let me cleanse you. That is essential to the establishment of prophetic identity. And it's not that we will ever be perfect. But in him we are. And we keep laying those things that the Spirit 
identifies in the bitter sop and in other ways. We lay it up on the altar and we say, God, touch this. Keep on being perfected, the scripture says. That's the essence of the prophetic rite. And it, it prepares you in partnership with God to carry through toward the end. If you don't get uh, the right properly established, you won't make it through to the left. And, you know, today we see people who, in society, everybody has a beef. Everybody has a complaint. Everybody has an issue. And we, we want, um, not to say we, society's trying to kill people, to cancel people. We don't like you. We don't even want to hear your voice. And, you know, that's a weird thing. I remember back in uh, debate, on the debate team in high school, there was, there was a lot of issues of freedom of speech. The civil rights movement had been there and uh, from the 60s into the 70s. You had protests going on against the Vietnam War. And so we we did do a couple of months, I think, about freedom of speech. And one of the things that was firmly established is that it's not the freedom of the speaker. It's the freedom of speech. And it's, it's the person in America's right to hear speech, whether you agree with it or not. So to try to cancel speech you don't like is tantamount to eliminating the First Amendment. And believe me, you better watch for this because any person who ever went through law school, whether you believe it or not, believe in it or not, from your political agenda, recognizes is that's the essence of uh, the Constitution. There are going to be some lawsuits, and that's going to be one of the main things. The enemy does not want there to be the voice of the Lord. And so, for me, I often warn saints be careful, and Jesus said this, be careful what you let in to your eyes and your ears. Be careful the teachers you welcome in. You better be galvanized, not set in your ways, but galvanized, set in the ways of God to know what you believe. And um, I know whom I am believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which has been committed to him against the day of fulfillment. You see this everywhere. Now, the faith movement would say, well, it's just my agreement that I'm going to have a new Mercedes coupe by next week. It'd be nice to have, wouldn't it? But it's, that's not the committed unto him. It's the, the process of your partnership with him. And, you know, so many Christians are blown about by every wind of doctrine. So when I say, Know what you believe, and when you read something, when you hear something, don't be like, don't be gullible. Don't just believe something because it, it's written well, or the crowd is running after it. Know who you believe and what you believe, and judge everything by Scripture, not by the topical Scripture, but by the exegesis of Scripture. Anybody can knit together five or six things and say, okay, here's our, here's our uh, covering of fig leaves. Let's go after this. And the other factor is, you know, I say we're the Saints Network. This is our message. So it's kind of like being uh, 
Coca-Cola, you have your convention. You don't, you're not up there talking about what Dr. Pepper says or what Pepsi says or what um, any other Budweiser says. You're Coca-Cola. You stick with that. Yeah, you learn what the market's doing, but you know who you represent. So when things come across from the Saints Network, it's going to be revelation that God has given to his saints. And I'm not suggesting by that that you shouldn't be aware of what other people are teaching. What I'm saying is know your identity, process that, and be that. Don't be blown about by every wind of doctrine because you know what James says. Don't expect to receive anything from God if you're that way. Man, I tell you, it, it, you know, when we do this in any other form of life, you, you get married and you hope that, that, you know, next week you're not going to go out searching for somebody else. And certainly your spouse hopes that. It takes a little while for that to happen. <laughs> joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Some of you will hear this whole teaching. That's the only thing you'll remember here at minute 53. You know, you, you, um, it's just like I, one time I heard a, a professor in our, one of our philosophy classes, his counseling classes. He said, marriage is like, uh, for some people going through a cafeteria line, you choose what you want and you get to the table and you wish I'd, you'd gotten what somebody else got. <laughs> you know, a lot of Christians are that way. You know, marriage is what the bride of Christ is supposed to be, the church. And God begins to speak to you about something. You, you agree to it, and then as soon as some other argument comes or some other thing comes, you're ready to jump ship and become that. Uh-uh. That is not what the right pillar means. To be jahin you also have to have processed as Jerib that you are convinced this is what God wants you to be and what God wants you to do, and you're going to die to all these other options, and you're going to embrace this. That's the heart of the prophetic. And that will be absolutely necessary if you're going to make it all the way across through the seal of moments of life to the Boaz fulfillment. Do you see that? So I'm very grateful for our brothers and sisters, scholastics they are, who choose to study genealogies, and I know they're anointed of the Scripture, because, you know, they confirmed for me that Jackin and Jerib are the same person. From there, then, you research the meaning of riba, and you come up with this other stuff. And that's the essence of that right-handed pillar. Yes, we say it's establish. But how you come to that point of establishment is the essence of martyria. And, you know, some people, and I've seen this, some people wanted to come and be saints because they liked the fresh words. Some people 
like the angels. Some people like the manifestation. Some people like the action. And if they weren't seeing people pop and fall over and doing things, they didn't want to be there. And, you know, some people had fanciful expectations. I remember when we first started to say, okay, the scripture says when you pray in tongues, you should interpret. And we started teaching people about that. Too. No, we don't like that. We just like the experience. That's work to do that. Well, yes, it is. But it's what scripture says. Some people, when they would come, we'd say, okay, you know, you've got to take a stand where you are planted. And you've got to stand in that terrio. You've got to be faithful there. And you've got to be willing to, to fight for the kingdom. Oh, we don't like that. That's 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 hard work. We just want to we just want to hear prophecy and we we want people to prophesy over us and we want apostolic declarations so we can rah rah. But when it comes to the battle, no, 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 we don't like that. You can't have that right-handed pillar of establishment and hearing all the cool and the good things if you've not processed the contention and the strife. That's what's there. Do you see this? And if you're going to have the spirit of prophecy, you, you've got to have the, that martyrius of Jesus. And when he gave himself consistently, I've not come to honor myself, I've come to do the will of him who sent me. He continually throughout his life, prophet, priest, and king, he showed us that death to self. Not my will, thine be done. When you pray, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then as a sheep before his shears was dumb. That's the essence of prophecy. And that's what we must be. It's the only way we're going to survive in the days to come. There are already people who've cratered. This, this walk of faith and as saints wasn't fast enough. You know, it wasn't, it, it, you know, the cool kids aren't doing it, so we're going to abandon that. We're going to deconstruct, right? we're going to get rid of it, and we're going to go over here. You're going to answer for that. You know, the Bible speaks in the end of the book of Revelation. If anybody adds to or takes away from the what, the prophecy of this book, this is the essence of end-time warfare. The prophets and the saints standing against the, the onslaught of the false prophetic. We're going to talk a lot more about that in our seminar that begins two weeks from today. But for right now, I release to you this rhema understanding. And I ask that God, who loves you very much and has called you to be saints, would help you to galvanize your commitment to him. Be faithful. Stand strong. Don't be blown about. Stand. And God will carry you through to the fulfillment. Ruth patterned that. David and Solomon knew that from their own family history, and that really bridged the gap. 
her actions bridge the gap from the days of the judges into the establishment of the kings because Ruth lived in those crucial days. But Boaz represented the fulfillment, the, the actualization of the promise, and the restoration <clears throat> that God intended to bring. <clears throat> and the home, Bethlehem, that's where Jesus would be born, the lineage of David, the lineage of Boaz and Ruth. Do you see this? It, do you suppose that when Jesus comes again, it's going to be based on this? And the preparer of the way, the prophets that are going to prepare the way of the Lord, the friends of the bridegroom, have to be patterning this same thing? We have to. Listen, if you aren't paying attention at all, society doesn't like you. And once they start burning books... Soon, they'll start burning people. And they're coming after conservative viewpoints, and they're even coming after the, the, the progressive left. The progressive left can never take yes for an answer. Pretty soon, you're going to see targeted Christians in a deeper way than they're even targeted now, and the saints are going to be targeted. You Look at the scripture. That's just what's going to happen. So the time to prepare for that is by being what God says you should be and be it now. Be it right now. So David and Solomon call that left, Boaz, but they say, what's going to be necessary for people entering this temple? And I close with this to accept what we know Amon is, the right. What's going to be necessary? Well, yes, they're going to have to come to a point of establishment and agreement. But who can we, what can we use as a name for that which also indicates the process? Jakin. Jarib. That's it. And that's where we are. And that's what the true essence of prophecy is. Thanks for joining me today. I speak blessing over all of you. Don't forget to register for the seminar. And as you register, there'll be other perks that are available to you. So just read everything on the page. If you register, look down at the bottom of the page to see what else it then says to do. Um, and um, we'll just look forward to what God's going to do in this season. Blessings over you. Pray for Texas with the edict that Governor Abbott proclaimed. It's truly a prophetic thing, I think. Mississippi, you know, it's funny that Texas and uh, Florida, Florida paved the way. Texas and Mississippi are now agreeing. We're Florida, uh, Arizona, you got to come along now, so get 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 going with it. But pray that the enemy won't cause an upsurge. We've got to have this thing, this COVID defeated. There's a lot of places we need to go. We're preparing now. We're girding up now, but there's going to be a going forth. Let it be soon. We speak blessing over you. God bless you all. Thanks for joining today, and goodbye.